0: Thank you for checking us out for episode five. We have a special guest here. We are interviewing Abdu Murray. Welcome, Abdu.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Great to see you, or hear you at least.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. We cannot wait until November 19th and 20th for you to come and speak and
1: answer questions, and we've been talking about it quite a bit. Oh, great. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, thanks, Pastor John, for having me and... um uh, the great news is, is that the one I think this event is timely, and the the themes and the subject matter are so important, especially nowadays. Um, and I also am just grateful for the fact that I get to speak uh, near my home. I can be home uh, the same day that I leave. Normally, I'm, I'm I'm away when I speak, but this one is uh, close to home. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that that's perfect, right? Welcome to the podcast, and we're going to ask you the very first thing is just tell us a little bit about
1: yourself, your family, and what you do. Sure, absolutely. So, um, I'm Abdul Murray, and uh, I am uh, a former Muslim. I came to faith in Christ after a nine year look into the philosophical, historical, theological, um uh, existential and underpinnings of various religious views. Uh, that's a much longer story, but I came to faith in Christ um in the year two thousand, um and uh, shortly after that, uh, started doing apologetics ministries, and apologetics ministry is not, you know, a ministry where you're doing an apology tour of any kind. You're actually defending the Christian faith. That's what the word apologia means in the Greek is to provide a, a defense. And so um, doing that uh, on a part-time basis, but then I started doing it on a full-time basis, uh relatively recently uh well actually not relatively recently uh some years ago actually um and um uh traveled all over the world to speak and defend the faith in various settings. Um, uh, my bread and butter, which I love to do, the defending of the faith, is in the places where it's hardest to be a Christian, like the university settings, uh, secular universities especially, where we do open forums and dialogues and debates. Uh, and the ministry I'm part of is called Embrace the Truth. You can find out more about it at embracethetruth.org. Um, My family, I've got three great kids. One just started university uh, at Michigan State. My other two are still in high school. One just started high school uh, and uh, she's loving it. And my middle is um, uh, a junior in high school and she's stressing it because it's the junior year. Mm -hmm. and She's a bit of a perfectionist. So she's going through that. Uh, My wife Nicole and I um, live in Southeast Lower Michigan in the Metro Detroit area and uh she's part of what I do as well and um uh so that's a bit about me and uh yeah the the mission is to offer the credibility of the gospel to every questioner we encounter um and we promise to hear um understand respect and respond in a way that is dignifying of the person and um respectful of the questions that they have that's
0: awesome so uh, where did you get your phd from
1: so i don't have a phd i have it what's called a jd a jurist okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my Juris Doctor is, um, no one calls me doctor because it's a Juris Doctor. It's a law degree actually from the University of Michigan Law School. Um, uh, it's called a Juris Doctor, and in some countries they insist on calling me doctor, but no one in the U.S. calls me that. Um, <laughs> however, um, it's, a, so it's a law degree and I practice law, um, and I'm still licensed to practice law did um, uh, complex commercial litigation. But yeah, I went to Michigan undergrad and law school
0: yeah the reason why i asked that i was just wondering how you have a child that went to
1: michigan state then <laughs> because i have a wife who went to michigan state oh okay, ah. okay. Yeah. yeah i have two more shots at it he's in the marching band and he' absolutely <laughs> loving it He thrives there just absolutely loving it um uh so yeah I have two more shots at it but uh, my, my pride in my son overcomes my pride in my school
0: there you go with rivalry week i thought i'd ask that question
1: yes indeed yes indeed
0: all right, so here's, uh, here's something for you. Uh, one of the things that we've talked about is uh, just the, the damnation, really, of the deconstructionism in our culture. So it's a major issue in our American society today. I've, as a former youth pastor and, um, you know, as a youth pastor at the time, I watched kids, teenagers, young adults walk away from their faith. What do you think is one of the biggest reasons why this is happening and, and what needs to change to prevent it?
1: Yeah, what a great question. And it is really the, the question uh, that we really need to answer as a church, because I, I'm not sure we're doing a great job of identifying all the reasons why. And I think the reasons are actually more complex than more, uh, most apologists might tell you. My, most apologists will tell you they aren't actually geared up in terms of um, told that their deep-seated, factual-based or um, intellectually-based questions are being answered. And that's true. They, they have lots of intellectual questions. Um, and oftentimes they're not going answered. Um, and there's a, there's a phrase I've heard many times and it's not my phrase, but I've heard it many, many times. And it's people always get their questions answered. It's just a matter of by who Mm. or by what source. Um, I can recall many times sitting across the table from a young person, whether they're a young adult or a student or whatever it is, where they've told me their story of how they lost their faith. And most of the time, it's because they had some deep questions that arose, like, you know, where did Mrs. King come from? And, uh, you know, doesn't science actually show that the Bible is an outdated book meant for people who didn't know better, but now we know better and shouldn't we move on. Mm-hmm. And they were actually not, not only did they not receive questions when they, sorry, answers when they asked the questions, but sometimes they were actually afraid to even ask the question, mm-hmm. not because they were necessarily afraid of being, you know, ridiculed, bullied or whatever. What I found was oftentimes they made, they made a misconception. They made a misstep um they didn't think that their pastor or their parents or the people who were in leadership in the youth ministry had an answer, so they didn't want to they didn't want to insult that person or make them feel bad about it, so they never actually got the question answered until they went on YouTube or <laughs> various places where they got the answer that that um YouTube has to offer or in the secular world has to offer and so they are you know, if you think you've insulated your children or young people from answers that are unbiblical just take a guess again because they're actually not waiting for your kids to ask questions they're giving your, question, your kids a- questions to ask mm. so i think that what we need to do is to actually give them a solid basis that the Bible is worth believing, that the Christian worldview actually makes the best sense of the rea- of reality around us. It is the story of reality, to borrow from my friend, Greg Kokel's title of his book. Um, and then it is the best account of reality. And if you do that early enough, um, what'll happen is, is that as the questions pour in, they'll have biblically-based answers that they can build upon. So even if they don't have a particular answer to a particular question at that particular moment, they will have a general idea of how the worldview works so that they won't despair when when the question comes. And then they will have confidence in their church, in their leadership, that if I go to them, they'll either have an answer or they'll go get an answer for me. Having said that, the other thing that's happening, and I think this is important because there's a shift in the questions the way way they're being asked, is as I travel all over the place and I go to universities and and even churches and, and, and youth groups, the questions have stopped. Not say I shouldn't say stopped. The primary questions are no longer factual, philosophical, and scientific. The, the primary questions are questions like, isn't the Bible racist? Isn't the Bible homophobic? Isn't the Bible anti-women? In other words, they're still propositionally truth-based questions because those are those are just morally truth-based questions. They're not, they're still propositional. But they've moved away from is the Bible true to is the Bible good. Mm. Is the Bible moral? And so what they see and what the media tells them is we don't even need to ask, did David really exist? We don't even need to ask, it was Jesus risen from the dead? We need to ask, is this book awful in terms of its morality? And so they don't even get to those questions because they reject it before they even get there. But that's an apologetic too. The beauty of apologetics is it's fully orbed. It, 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 it encompasses so many things, fact and morality. Um, uh, existential issues like why am I here and what what's my purpose and uh, uh broadly speaking as humanity but individually speaking as me it answers all these questions. So I think that if we get to the heart of some of these issues, the fact-based questions are asking, the credibility questions are asking, but also the moral questions are asking. I think if we give them a solid base, you know, Christians a solid base in our discipleship and in our churches we're going to have a a siege or as to a surge, of Christians Mm -hmm. who not only know how to respond to answers, but as they can stand with those who, uh, sorry, respond to objections, I should say, but also not only offer their own objections to the counterfeit worldviews, but offer answers to those who are asking the hardest questions.
0: Yeah, the thing I'm really excited about is uh, the style in which you're gonna uh, impact our young people in our church because literally you're gonna give them an opportunity to ask anything and everything. Mm And that's Absolutely. going to be, that's going to be wonderful. I can't wait
1: for that, that reality in and of itself. So you know, I, i found, uh, Pastor John, that when, when, when people engage, they don't, and they don't just hear, but they say, mm. um, it's such an amazing opportunity for them for it to stick mm. when, when they, when they say something, when they speak their mind, when they feel free to, um, when there's no question off limits. They'll ask pretty much anything. They sometimes need a warm up, but they will get there and they'll ask anything. And young people are bold and young people are unafraid to do so um, oftentimes, especially when they're being encouraged by leadership to ask any question, as I know you guys have. Ask any question and we'll try to wrestle with it. I can't guarantee I'll have every answer to every question, but I can guarantee that we'll wrestle with these things together in a way that will get us going either towards an answer or actually land on an answer while we're talking.
0: Yeah, that's awesome and i love what you had shared with me before about even you do that with your kids and their friends on friday nights or whatever something like that
1: yeah, yeah it was every other thursday at our house we had a thing called um a tough questions real answers and we're thinking about starting it back up again uh, my son was leading the charge but he's at university now so it's a little tough to do it that way because uh having all his friends in my house but he's at you know michigan state is going to be a tough thing to pull off uh but we might just do it with me We'll see. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe other venues. What I noticed, guys, is that which we don't have a program. What we just do is we give them pizza and we give them pop um, and they sit down and they 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 hang out for a while. And then we go over into the living room and we just say, OK, go for it. What questions do you have? And mm-hmm. if they don't have a question to begin with, I have questions for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard. And it's like, OK, how do you answer this? Here's a tough question from an atheist or here's a tough question that Muslim might ask you. What would you say if, if if a Buddhist said this to you? Um, and that, that gets the conversation going pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're, they're willing to end. And it's Socratic. It's what do you think is the answer? How have you wrestled with this issue? Because I'm sure you thought of this before you asked me, you know, that kind of a thing. And where have you come out on this? And um, it's cooperative. That sounds great.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And that's one of the questions I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit. (laughs) Tell us about your (laughs) history. No, that's awesome. So I do have another question. I would say never have we seen such a sexual orientation revolution, at least in my lifetime, Mm -hmm. from gender dysphoria to transgenderism to everything in between. It seems like our young people are confused like never before. What is your basic answer? I know you're going to spend more uh, time on this when you come to Emanuel in November, but what's your basic answer to someone struggling in one or more of these areas, would you say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I'll, I'll say is you know, I'm going to give a structure because I, I will give a lot more detail later when we're there. Um, but uh, a basic structure is this, is that I think when we have, we have to assess what's going on in the world and why is it that this has caught on like a fire, like a, why, why is it spread so quickly? Why is it become a cultural phenomenon? Um, is it because gender dysphoria is really this prevalent? Or is it because there is a social phenomenon happening that's not all that new? It's just coming to fruition now. And that's where I talk about the post-truth culture, where we have this unlimited quest, this unquenchable quest for human autonomy. We don't have a limit, we don't have a quest for freedom. We've mistaken that word. We think we're looking for freedom uh, because. You know, freedom is an unbounded thing, and America is based on the idea of freedom. But the reality is, is we're not looking for freedom, we're looking for autonomy. And autonomy is an unbounded ability to do whatever you want and say whatever you want and be whatever you want in whatever way you want at any time you want. And we've elevated preferences and feelings over facts and truth. And that's led to a conflict because someone's preferences and feelings won't conform with the majority preferences and feelings but if preferences and feelings are all that matter and someone's being oppressed because of their preferences and feelings, freedom doesn't exist anymore because we're oppressing people. Mm. And that's that's chaotic. That's the first thing. So the point is that the Bible actually addresses this and it's not in favor of unfettered autonomy. What it is in favor is, is actual freedom and what that actually means. Mm. So the first response is to say, what is the cause of all of this? Um, and there's much more to say. The second thing is to say, Not just what does the Bible say about sexual orientation and sexuality and gender. We have to say that uncompromisingly. But the more important thing to do and what I hope to get into is why does the Bible say it? It's not just what does it say. It's why does it say it? And then understanding that there is an avenue here. There's a a space to actually grow where we can fumble through it. Well, you don't have to get all your stuff together. You don't have to get your gender issues and your sexuality issues together before coming to Christ. In fact, it's usually the opposite way that it happens is you come to Christ and you wrestle with those things later because he helps you with that. When Paul says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the spirit and you will not have the desires of the flesh. No, he doesn't say that. What he says is walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you will wrestle with those but you have to understand why is it why is it that the Spirit wants to empower you and to help you, not to gratify those so that you can line yourself up biblically because what God wants and why God says certain things are the way they are, why sexuality is a certain way, why gender is actually a binary, why these things exist is actually beautiful. So what we want to share is not just a counter perspective to what the world is offering, but actually a beautiful perspective, because what the Bible offers isn't just an alternative story. It's a true story, and it's a better story. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I love how you just put that, because it literally talks about not just the what, but the why. It literally talks about the the motivation behind the heart of God and why he did what he did. And we all Hmm. benefit from that when we obey him.
1: Yeah, and we all suffer when we don't. Yeah, um, what what God is doing, essentially, is not prohibiting certain conduct because dusty old man writing a dusty old book found it icky. Yeah. No, what he's doing, he's not prohibiting something. He's protecting something. Yeah. And that something is your relationship with him and based on what you are. And we are all made in God's image. That means all of us are inherently sacred. We're not incidentally sacred based on the fads of the time. Mm, that's
0: really good. Well put.
1: Yeah, we're really excited to hear you
0: jump into that subject. That's going to be powerful. One mm-hmm. last question, and this really goes along with um, some of the training that you did when I was at Lake Ann Camp. I think I thought that was really powerful, mm-hmm. and uh, somewhat about your own book from a postmodern generation to a post-truth generation. What is the difference, and how is this trend going to impact future
1: generations? Uh, it's it a, a quite a big difference, but it is subtle to detect. So, postmodernism—we've heard a lot about this. It's a fifty-cent word, essentially, which is which encapsulates what the culture did for a while, where we tried to get away from the idea of truth. So postmodernism was born out of the idea that truth claims when certain people say, "I have the truth." They try to foist that truth on other people. And so they want to convince them of it, either through argumentation, but oftentimes through invasion, literally invasion of other countries, or to um, uh, lock people into certain lifestyles that they think are are authoritative or normative or whatever. So they say, I have the truth, sexuality should be this way. Or I have the truth, your political philosophy should be this way. Or I have the truth, this is what really happened in this time. And if you don't agree with me, or I own your land, and you shouldn't, you're on my land, and then you invade people and you hurt people. And so, postmodernists said this claim to the truth is what ends up creating power struggles. So, if we get rid of claims to the truth, people won't have power struggles because they won't try to impose their views on other people. So, we'll say things like there's no such thing as truth. And of course, as you guys know, the self defeating nature of such a statement is that the statement itself. There is no such thing as truth. That statement has to itself be true. And if it's true, then there is truth. And if it's not true, then it's false and you shouldn't have said it. So It's, <laughs> self-defeating. it's just self-defeating. and Yeah, exactly. It's a circle and it never really resolves itself. And so people started to see this and post-truth, sorry, post-modernism died. However, something rose up from its ashes and that is post-truth. Post-truth is different than post-modernism. Post-modernism says there's no such thing as truth. I only have perspective, and so you have to respect my perspective, um, and that dies. Post-truth says I have, that, that truth exists, but it's not as important as our feelings and our preferences. And so feelings and preferences are the basis for why we think and say and believe the things we do, and you have to respect that. The consequence is this, someone might say, I feel this way or my preference, whether it's sexual or gender or political or religious, they'll say, this is my feeling and my preference. And you have to respect that. And by the way, not only did you respect it, you actually have to affirm it as true, um, even if it's not true, because feelings and preferences matter more than everything else. But the problem is, is that I might actually think to myself that your preferences are screwy And you shouldn't believe those things. Those are crazy and detrimental. And I feel strongly about that. And I have feelings and preferences about that. But you're required to respect my feelings and my preferences and not only respect them, but affirm them as true. So when my feelings and preferences contradict your feelings and preferences, and then they collide in the public sphere, and truth no longer determines who's right and who's wrong, but feelings do, someone is going to be suppressed. And it's not going to be the person who makes the better argument because truth is no longer the primary reason we decide things. It's going to be the person with the most power, the loudest microphones or the most guns. Mm -hmm. And that leads to enslavement. So the irony is in our quest for ultimate freedom, someone's going to get enslaved because someone's ideas are going to run afoul of whoever happens to have authority at that time. So postmodernism tried to get rid of conflict by getting rid of truth, it dies its logical death, post-truth rises up by saying we'll, we'll just agree to logic exists, but refer to our preferences and our feelings. And then conflict happens. So the very thing postmodernism tried to get rid of, post-truth brings back into the fore. And that's why we see such nastiness online and in the media and such polarization today. So the implication for our future, for our young people, is that if we don't reclaim the supremacy of truth, Without disrespecting feelings and preferences, where we have to conform our feelings and preferences to reality as opposed to trying to do the opposite, the re- the result will be chaos. But I'm actually hopeful, guys. I'm hopeful because I've seen people engage in what I call the post-truth bender, only to find out that they're in the post-truth hangover now, and they want the antidote, which is itself actual truth.
0: Mm. Amen. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's amazing in this generation, in this culture today. To see those that argue emotionally about something and they just uh, push the truth aside. It's really what they feel, what they think uh, that matters the most. And we're living in that, even in the church world where, you know, you could take a topic uh, that's somewhat controversial for some people, but something like abortion, that's not really that controversial in a lot of ways. And so many people really have a hard time seeing truth. It just becomes very emotional. And it's hard to know how to preach and teach and lead. some of that. So I'm really excited to have you come. I think it's going to be incredible. We cannot wait to have you November 19th and 20th. November 19th is going to be really geared toward the younger generation, 13 years old and up. It starts at 7 p.m. That's a Saturday night. We're going to have pizza at six o'clock for about a half an hour for those that come early. And then November 20th, we have a combined gathering at 1115. It's our contemporary gathering, and you're going to be speaking at both—short uh, messages
1: and then opening it up for questions. Is that correct? That's right. That's the plan. I love the questions. That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. Well, guys, thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing you all in November. It's uh, going to be a real, a real, uh, real pleasure.
0: Awesome. Great. Thank
1: you for joining us.
0: Wow, John, that's exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's going to be a special, special weekend. We really, really want to encourage you to come. Yeah. And you can go to www.wearemanuel.life forward slash truth to register for this event. Thank you for joining us on today's episode.